going to take one uh, final break um, over the course of, I guess it's been about four weeks now before we dive back into John chapter 16 and look at a sermon entitled, Hear Him from Luke chapter 8. Many people think that this parable, the sower and the seeds, and actually uh, even the one of the lamp is more about faithful preaching, but Jesus uh, reiterates and teaches us that it's really about faithful hearing and being an effective hearer of God's word, knowing that we're dependent upon him even to be able to hear. And so uh, a text you're probably familiar with, uh, but one I want to look at today in, in light of some things I, I see in our culture, the things that the Lord, uh, Spirit of God has stirred my heart towards through the word of God. And so if you found your place in Luke chapter 8, would you stand for the honor of reading God's word together? We're going to read verses 1 through 18, the pretty chunk of, a uh, big chunk of scripture, and yet I think uh, a relatively short message, a practical message, a helpful message for us today on how we can be faithful hearers of God's word. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 1, the precious, inerrant, infallible word of God says these words. It says, soon afterwards he began going around from one city and village to another, this being Jesus, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene from uh, who, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others were contributing to their support out of their private means. Verse 4. When a large crowd was coming together, and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And he said these things he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 9. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant, and he said... Uh, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Verse 11. Now, the parable is this, Jesus says, the seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root, they believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and hold it fast, and bear fruit with perseverance. Verse 16. Now no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So take care how you listen. Verse 18 is the, the meaning of this text. It's the point of the parable. He says, so take care how you listen. Whoever has, to him more shall be given. Whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. First Baptist Church of Great Gables, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures. 
forever. Let's go to the Lord and thank him for his word. Father, we consider this to be a heavy word on our hearts already, Lord, as we just, as we just know, probably as, as, as I read and know in my own heart, uh, Father, um, how, uh, Lord, this culture has, has had such an effect on, on hearing and an attention span and listening and And Lord, we understand that that the means that you've decided to use to convey your people the gospel is through hearing the word of God being preached and proclaimed. And so Father, if we strive to not be faithful hearers, if we're not looking to learn how to be good listeners of your word, then Father, Lord, we have little hope. And yet we know that even hearing is a gift. Lord, you... You and your sovereignty grant your children the gift to be able to hear your message. And Father, as we live amidst those, those two realities, Lord, we're trusting you and dependent upon you that you would grant us the gift to be able to hear the word of God. And Father, with that, we would also grow to be good hearers of the word of God. Lord, we love you and you're worthy. Lord, remind us of that as we dig into your word, as we looked at some practical things to help us from your word. And Lord, just remind us of your worthiness, that you have the words of eternal life, Lord, that we would be faithful hearers of those words. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Hear him, Luke chapter 8. Uh, the scriptures, as you know, not only teach us about the power of God's word proclaimed, and preach, which we believe in here, but they also instruct us on the importance of being faithful hearers of the word that's being preached and of the word that's being proclaimed. Friends, it's, it's not enough to simply come to church faithfully. We must also come to hear the word of God faithfully. God's word places a great amount of responsibility upon everybody who is able to hear the word read or the word preached. And it's a heavy responsibility. This message, I think, is especially relevant for us today because many of us have lost the ability to learn by listening. I see it in day-to-day life. I see it in my three-year-old as well. And I include myself in this in my culture. Many of us have become casual or even lazy Listeners, And one of the major culprits for this condition is our continual access to media or entertainment or music, amusement. And I'll, I'll just refer to this as screen time from, from now on. It's not all based on screens, but uh, I'll refer to this uh, as screen time. And, and before I talk about what I think I see in some of the negative effects of screen time in our day, it's important for you to know that I don't think that screen time in its own is evil. Or that Christians should never watch television or never be on their phones at at all. No, that's not my view at all. But But I've come to learn this in the Christian life. You can do everything, even really, really good and 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 write things to an excess and make them sinful. And and I think what we've done here is exactly that in our culture. When, when, when these things, the things like screen time and media and entertainment are used in our day immoderately, when they're abused, they can become a curse and a, and a real problem for us. When, when they are, are used moderately, they can be a blessing and, and joy and, and, and a wonderful thing. But, but with that said, I think we could all acknowledge that screen time has had certainly a negative effect on the way we process information today. 
Consider just a couple of points from this. Consider, if you would, the area of politics. I know that just cringes you that I would use that word in a sermon, right? Yeah. But many of you are old enough, I'm not one of them, but some of you are, to recall the presidential debate between John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon. It's a famous debate because it's generally believed that Kennedy won that debate simply because he had a better stage presence on television about him. Many people believe that Nixon had the better policies and and points and had the better performance, but because of the lighting, it appeared that he had a five o'clock shadow and the lighting sitting under it caused him to sweat a bit, which people interpreted to be nervousness on his part. On the other hand, John F. Kennedy was packaged for television. And from that point on, in, in many political races, determining the best politicians has gone from the one who has the most ability to the one who's the most marketable or has the most entertainment value. That can be seen further in how each candidate presents their views and debates the the view of their opponent. When you look at at political debates today and, and the political speeches before the days of what we call screen time, you'll notice that before screen time, the debates had much more substance. The arguments were well-reasoned, and they were uh, fairly lengthy compared to today's. Keep in mind, these were, these were actually speeches that candidates would give, and therefore the, the people hearing those speeches had to be good listeners in order to know which, uh, where each candidate stood on each particular issue of the day. Generally speaking, that isn't the case anymore today. Nowadays, the only thing we're trained to listen for is sound bites. Nowadays, the only thing we've been trained to look for is a particular phrase, an expression, or perhaps a sarcastic remark. And part of the reason behind that is because we just can't digest much more than that as a society today. And it's sad. I think the second area we find the effect of screen time, the way we process information, the way we hear things today can be seen and the way our children are educated today. I was a part of this too. With shows today like Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and Sesame Street and and others, many programs are are teaching children that all learning should be fun. And that's certainly not, not necessarily a bad thing. But they teach them that all learning should be easy and even passive to some extent. You can just sit your, t- your kids in front of the TV for a few hours and, and trust they're going to be smarter for it. But really, when such parents teach their kids this, they're teaching the kids the, the, the wrong lesson. And children hear this, learning is not always fun and easy. If you haven't got to this thing called algebra yet, you will... And it's not fun. <laughs> uh, somehow letters became numbers, and I missed that day of, uh, of phonics. So uh, I don't know how that happened, but that, that's not fun. Learning, actually, in, in most cases, can sometimes be hard and tedious. It can require a lot of effort on our part. To learn requires a student to be actively engaged with the mind, to be disciplined and determined in the mind. And sitting in front of the TV won't often teach your children how to be good hearers. Brother uh, Cody came over for dinner on Friday and and, uh, we were sitting there and we let Addie watch a a TV show that night, her her time for the day, and she had earned it. She was obedient and we we had a little uh, experiment where as we're sitting there talking to her and I'm saying... 
uh, Cody had said something, and I said, Addie, did you, did you hear Brother Cody? And laser focus on the TV. Addie, Adeline and Ruth, did you, did you hear Brother Cody? He's talking to you. Laser focus on the TV. I pressed the pause button. Adeline, did you hear Brother Cody? Huh? What, Dada? Right? Uh, it's just, it's a natural response when the TV's on. Our, our children aren't really being good listeners. They're laser focused on the entertainment value of such things. And so it's not necessarily bad to let your children watch TV. I'm not saying that, but I would encourage you to actively engage in their comprehension about such things. Ask them what it was they watched, what they learned from it, what could be helpful from it. But we've lost this sense of being able to think we can process deep amounts of information because we're taught from childhood that it should all be fun and it all should be easy. And therefore, if it's not easy and it's not fun and it's hard, then I don't want to do it. It's had an effect on us today. In fact, we need to be pay attention to what we're training them. Again, I'm, I'm not saying it's evil to allow your children to watch TV, but what are we putting into them as far as learning is concerned? See, the, the child that spends most of their years in front of the television will likely be the child that has issues sitting in a sermon service like we have today. Many of you can attest to that fact. It's one of the many reasons why some adults struggle with paying attention to sermons yourselves. Because we're raised the same way. So it had an effect on us and the way we process information. And it's had an effect on our kids. The third effect, I think, that screen time has had on the way we process information is, is as you probably guessed, the way many of us listen to sermons today. When, when we compare the generation of God's people of old to us today, there is a huge difference. The pastors back in that day, they prepared lengthy sermons with, with many points and subpoints, and the Puritans were especially known for having really long sermons, and the, the saints of old who had to sit in the pews were able to give their attention to those sermons, and that's an amazing thing to consider too. Granted, we shouldn't assume that they were perfect hearers just because they were saints of old. Just because they were living back in the day doesn't mean they didn't have the effects of sin that we have in our life as well. But they were accustomed to listening with their ears to learn. The truth is, the average person in the average pew today cannot pay attention to a sermon that's more than three points. And that is only if all three points have a catchy illustration or some humor to go along with each point. That is a, a situation in the church, broadly speaking, in our day and age. And since we're told that the average adult attention span is around 15 to 20 minutes, and the average length of the sermon, therefore, now in many churches is 15 to 20 minutes. The rest of the time in the service is keeping people busy with screen time or live music or watching others perform on a stage. Why is that? That's why many worship services are more concerned with entertainment than content. In fact, Brother Andy, our missionary, went to the Ivory Coast with it had shared that he was invited to come preach at a, at a church one time, and he asked how long the service was, and it was just about a two-hour-long Sunday morning service. And he then asked, how long do I have to preach? Well, no more than 30 minutes. Friends, what are we doing with an hour and 30 minutes? All these things are, are good in their own right. It's good to worship the Lord through song. It's good to respond and have a time of confession and response. But friend, 
The reason why we're here is to hear from the Lord. We're here to hear from his word. And if that's not central to what we do in worship, then I'm afraid we're wasting our time. This is something we see in our day today. It's the day and age in which we live. But this is not what God has ordained. So it's for these reasons that those who sit under the preached words must learn to be faithful hearers. Our culture is against this. It doesn't make sense in today's day and age to be able to sit, listen, and engage with your minds with the word of God. It's abnormal even amongst Christian churches today. And yet... It's the means which God has ordained for, for his spirit to work in the lives of his people that they would hear and respond. So with that in mind, I want to ask the question, how should the people prepare for preaching and how should we respond to preaching? And so to answer that question, I've, I've chosen a text that is all about hearing the word of God preached. And so the first thing I want to do is, is show you that this is indeed the case that this text is indeed about hearing God's word. And then I want to give you just some practical steps even in how you can prepare to be a faithful hearer. This text is about hearing the word of God when it's preached. It's about hearing and not yet hearing. <laughs> it's seeing and, and yet not seeing. It's about those who think they have heard, but in reality, they have not heard at all. So I want, to, I want to show you this so you can see it for yourselves in our text in Luke 8. What we're doing now and what we do every Sunday morning in these moments, it is huge and it has eternal implications for what you do with what you hear. So I want to start in verse 5 with the beginning of the parable of the soils. Jesus tells a parable that begins this way. He says, the sower went out to sow his seeds. And then he actually interprets this in verse 11. So if you want, if it's helpful for you, I don't know if you have this in your Bible, just you can make a connection between uh, the verses and the verses that interpret this because Jesus gives this parable first and then he gives the interpretation later and we're going to match up the interpretation as we walk through the parable. You'll see what I mean in a second. Verse 5, once again, it says the, the sower went out to seed and then verse 11, he says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So he gives us this picture of what the, the seed represents in this parable. The seed is the word of God. He's telling a parable about the preaching and the hearing of God's word. The sower is the one who preaches the word. And then what we see is there are four responses to the preaching of this word. Four kinds of soil. And, and what we want to notice especially is that Jesus interprets every one of them explicitly as four ways of hearing the word of God. It's all about hearing. Verse 5 says that at first some seed, some word. He says, some fell beside the road and it was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air ate it up. And then he interprets that verse in verse 12. Verse 5 is interpreted in verse 12. He said, those beside the road are those who have heard and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. That's one kind of hearing. Verse 6 says this. He says, Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And then again, he interprets that in verse 13. 
Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. That's the second kind of hearing. We see the third kind of hearing in verse 7. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. That's interpreted in verse 14. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard... And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. It's the third kind of hearing. Finally, in verse 8, it says, Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And verse 15 interprets that. It says, But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word and an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance that's a fourth kind of hearing and then at the end of verse 8 Jesus makes sure we get the point about this hearing where he says he who has ears to hear let him hear Friends, that, that means it's not enough just to have ears on the side of your head everybody has those but there's another kind of ear that only some people have and those can hear it's a spiritual ear it's a it's a heart ear there's an ear that hears in the preaching of the word more than mere words and there's a there's a beauty and truth and power that these ears hear in the preaching of God's word where they see it as life-changing that's the kind of hearing Jesus is calling for that's the, what this text is really about and then, to stress the issue of hearing even more, Luke tells us how Jesus explained the purpose of parables in this situation in verses 9 and 10, where he says this. His disciples began to question him as to what the parable meant. He said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. You know, I remember the first time I ever read this text and saw this text, um, that... Uh, when I, I thought about preaching and what I was going to do, I became immediately disheartened because I don't know if you're a percentage person, right? But there's, there's four people here. There's four hearers here. And only 25% of the hearers bear good fruit to the hearing. And I got to tell you, as, as a preacher thinking that if we were to, to do that even in this room, uh, that, because look, all the, 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 all the, 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 the responders, the hearers of God's word, profess to be hearers of God's word. But they actually aren't. So, so when, the, when the seed is brought forth, when the word of God is planted in the hearts of the people to think that, that according to this parable, 25% will respond, can be disheartening. And yet, I'm reminded that the word of God is always working whether I see the results or not. And that's what Jesus is saying in verses 9 and 10. It's a shocking word here. It means there are two kinds of hearing. One with physical ears, with the, uh, the, those things on the side of your head, and one of the spiritual ears of the heart. Hearing, he says, with the physical ears, they do not understand with the spiritual ears. This, he says, is one of the reasons he even uses parables, so that... Hearing, they may not understand. 
Doesn't Jesus want everybody to understand? But he's telling us, he's specifically speaking in parables to determine those who have spiritual ears from those who have just physical ears of hearing. It's amazing. In other words, the parables, they are part of Jesus' concealing and hardening ministry as well as part of his revealing and saving ministry. We don't see him that way. This hard word, in fact, in verse 10, there's a, there's a quote here from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, where, where God tells Isaiah his ministry isn't going to be just coming and, and declaring the gospel and watching just a radical amount of people get saved. It's not going to be that just that. There's going to be some saving, but there's also going to be some hardening for others. God says to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, he says, Go and tell this to people. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Friends, this teaches us something very important about preaching that I had to learn a long time ago. Even when preaching the word of God doesn't soften hearts and doesn't save souls and doesn't heal, even when that doesn't happen, it's not necessarily being ineffective. The preaching of the word may be taking part in God's terrible work of judgment. It may be hardening people, <laughs> making their ears dull so that they will never want to hear again. There is judgment in this world, and, and not just in this world, but in the world to come, and oh, how we should flee from it. Which in this text means, take care how you listen. That, that should stir in our hearts a, a little bit of a desire and a drive to make sure that we have those spiritual ears, that make sure that we're not just hearing with our physical ears where we go home and then the, the worries and cares of this world snatch that word away from us as if we've never heard it. But the word of God has a living and active place in our life where it is continually working on us and, and continually molding us into the image of Christ that we see ourselves being more responsive as we hear and respond to the word of God. It's our desire here. It's a, it's a, it's a sobering thought to think that the word of God not only is, is your only hope for salvation, but it could be the very means by which you're hardening your own heart to God's word for you. The terrifying thing. And so if that's the case, then we must heed Jesus' words in verse 18 to take care how you listen. Never be cavalier in the hearing of God's word week after week. If God's word is not softening, saving, healing, and bearing fruit, then friends, it's probably hardening, blinding, and doling. The word of God is not ineffective. The word of God is always effective. It just may not be effective what you think it's going to be effective in. That's why as a faithful preacher, one who desires to be a faithful preacher, we always stick to the word of God. Because we know as we stick to the word of God, God will be faithful to use his word and it will not return void. 
This brings us to the last mention of this term, hearing the text. It comes at the surprising place in verse 18 that we've looked at. It, we would have expected it to come right after that parable in verse 15, but uh, Jesus actually gives another parable to reiterate it in 16 uh, through 18, but we don't have time to look at that today. So we're just going to look at verse 18, which is the point of all of this, take care how you listen. Friends, preaching is one thing, and, and preaching is, is crucial. You've heard us talk about the importance of faithful, biblical preaching from this pulpit, but hearing is another thing, and friends, it's just as crucial. There is nothing in this text about the effectiveness of preaching. It's all about the effectiveness of hearing. The point is not, take care how you preach, though that's important, <laughs> but the point of this parable is to take care how you hear. Do you have ears to hear? Friends, do you have a new heart? Hearing is, is huge, and I, I believe with all my heart that I am called to preach the Word of God. And many of you are, are called to teach it in various settings, and you use those gifts, but this text is about another great calling. It's the calling to hear the Word of God, and it's no small thing. The stakes here are very high. There is a hearing that barely gets started, and the Word is gone before you're out the door. There's a hearing that lasts until there's a hard or difficult time in your life and then one turns from God to other modes and messages. There's a hearing that flourishes until the riches and pleasures of this life choke it out and there's a hearing that defeats the devil, endures trial, scorns riches, and bears fruit until eternal life. This is the hearing we want. This is the hearing of the church that we ought to pray for on a continual basis. Like the 40th Psalm, verse 6, tells us this. It says, sacrifice and meal offering you, God, have not desired. My ears you've opened. That's what God desires. For you to be faithful hearers. You to be faithful hearers of his word. And so we need to pray unto that end. Friends, now that we've established the importance of hearing, I, I just want us to take the rest of the time to get practical. We looked at what the text means. We've proved from the text that this is about faithful hearing. We've looked at the beginning at some of the negative effects we have in our culture towards hearing. I just want to get practical with you and give you, give you nine steps uh, in how, how shall we do that in preparing for hearing the word of God preached to Gray Gables. What are nine steps we can take that would prepare our hearts on Friday or Saturday or even early Sunday morning that would cause us to be more faithful hearers of the word of God. Nine exhortations, most of them very short. I, I got this from an article I read this week and modified it a little bit. That was actually 10 steps, but I didn't think one was necessary, so I modified that. But I hope you jot them down and talk about them as a family. I, the question I'm trying to answer with all of us here this morning is, how do you prepare to hear the word of God in worship on Sunday morning? What's your preparation process? Specifically, I mean, what can you do Saturday evening, Sunday morning, and on the way to church before you come into this room? That's the time frame we have in mind here. Here they are. Number one, pray that God would give you the good and honest heart described in verse 15. Pray that God would give you a good and honest heart. There's a memory verse there with it. You can just jot, jot down the the reference there, I don't have to jot down the verse there. Friends, there are many things we can do with our wills. There are many things we must do. But 
Our wills are governed by our hearts. And what our hearts love, our wills will follow. So we must have a new heart if we are to do what we ought to do and do it with joy the way God commands us to in his holy word. Let's just stop right there. What, what is your heart walking into this place on Sunday morning? We could honestly stop at this step, right? Uh, because the bottom line is this, is, this is the focus. We've got to have a good and honest heart and, and pray that God would give us that for any of the rest of these to take place. Where is your heart this morning? Was it your desire to be here? That, that drove you here? Is it a desire to hear from Christ that drove your heart here this morning? Because you know he's done a work in you. You know that he's done the work of providing in what once was a wicked and dishonest heart into a good and honest heart. Is that what drove you here this morning? The Bible teaches this. This, is a, this new heart's a work of God. Jeremiah 24, 7. I will give them a heart to know me. And therefore, we should ask God for it. Where's your heart this morning? Oh Lord, give me a heart for you. Give me a good and honest heart. Give me a soft and receptive heart. I'm dependent upon you. Give me a humble and meek heart. Give me a faithful heart. We ought to set aside time before we go to bed on Saturday night. And then again, when you get up on Sunday morning to pray in this way, Father, Lord, I know if my testimony is tied to Christ, then you have changed my heart. Would you give me a good and honest heart to prepare hear your word on Sunday morning second exhortation here is to meditate on the word of God meditate on the word of God we heard that term meditate we always think of eastern religions and humming and yoga right that's not what we mean when we talk about meditating it is it is actively engaging and training your mind to think upon God's word not just to read it to check off your bible uh, bible list of what you're supposed to read that day but in engaging in the thought process of what the word of God says what it what it means we aim to give you on Wednesday nights here I know not everybody's in here we can aim further to give it out on Facebook or a text message what we we go through on Sunday morning what we're preaching out of Sunday morning is there any interest when that's given in your heart have you, have, you, have you read through the book of John outside of us preaching through it every week? We've been going through it for about two years now. Have you, have you read the entire thing? Just think about how much more effective your hearing would be if you're engaging in the book of John each week as we walk through it. Friends, read portions of your Bible with a view to stir up a hunger for God. How many of you have heard the word appetizer, right? Been to Chili's, right? That's an appetizer is that which appetizes. To appetize is to awaken the appetite. That's what an appetizer is for. So if Sunday sermon, the morning sermon is the meal, the appetizer is the portion of the word that you meditate on Saturday night and Sunday morning. And this is crucial you need to cultivate a spiritual taste before you come in if you want to enjoy and benefit most from the meal of the Spirit. If your palate is worldly, if you have no taste for spiritual things, then you will not hear as you ought. 
So friends, the encouragement is to appetize your heart by meditating on the Word of God. Saturday night, Sunday morning, put it into you, constantly be feeding upon the Word. This is the way how you take care on how you listen. Number three, purify your mind by turning away from wickedness. Purifying your mind by turning away from wickedness. James chapter 1 says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. So, okay, according to that text right there, how do you receive the implanted word? It's by putting aside filthiness and wickedness. This is what makes the word unreceivable. And friends, it's astonishing that Saturday night has often become our night of wickedness. <laughs> that you look no more like a hypocrite than what you're posting from Saturday night and and wickedness in what you come to on Sunday morning. And, and you wonder why you're not growing in your faith in the Word of God. It's because Saturday night you've done no preparation for the Word. You filled your mind with wickedness and, and filthiness. And, and then you're just, you're just pretending that somehow that's not going to have an effect on you. It astonishes me how many Christians fill our mind constantly with wickedness and then wonder why their spiritual lives are weak and their worship experience is shallow with no intensity at all. If you really want to hear the word of God the way he means to be heard in truth, joy, and power, then, then, then on Saturday night, don't make that the night for your wickedness. Read something that night. Spend time and study in true and great and beautiful and pure and honest and excellent words of, of worthy of praise and then watch your heart unshrivel and begin to hunger for the word of God. Listen, I'm not, I'm not saying don't have any fun. I'm not trying to be the little town and footloose up here. Like, that's not, that's not the goal here. I'm not trying to say that you can't enjoy your weekend. But friend, do not expect to miraculously grow on Sunday if you never put any of the work in on Saturday night. You can't expect it. You won't be more of a faithful hearer if you're living in vileness and wickedness on Saturday night and then coming to church like it makes it better. Like walking through your doors is your repentance when your heart is far from God. That's not the case. Fourth, trust in the truth you already have. See, in our text, the second soil failed to hear the way it should because it had no root. Let's ask the question, what is the root that we need in hearing the word of God? What is it? Well, Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by water the ex that extends its roots by a stream. The root that nourishes fruitful hearing is the root of faith. Hearing begets faith and faith begets better hearing. So, so take in the time of of what we, we studied on Wednesday and what we studied on Sunday morning, what we studied last week in Sunday school, take and trust in the truth that you already have, have received as a better way for yourself to receive more. So when you pray and meditate, consciously fix your heart on the promises of God and trust Him Saturday night and Sunday morning. Engage with Him. Number five, get a good night's rest on Saturday night. This one's convicting for me. Even with small children, get a good night's rest on Saturday night, okay? 
I'm aware that some of you work all Saturday, all day, and you still fight and you come to church. Bless you. God has special graces for you, and, and you must seek his special help there. Trust him. He, he will help you. But I'm, I'm talking to the rest of us, friends, who, who make our own choices about when we go to bed. Uh, my counsel is that, that you would think that, that, that what we do here, that faithful hearing would be so important and vital to your life here that, that you would begin to think upon this, not Sunday morning, that you would decide when you must get up to have time to eat, to get dressed, to get the kids dressed, to pray, meditate on the word, prepare the family, travel to church, and then compute backward eight hours or whatever it is you know you will need and be sure that you are in bed 15 minutes before that. Read your Bible in bed and fall asleep with the word of God on your lips and on your mind. It, it takes more discipline to go to bed on time than it does to get up on time. There aren't many pressures uh, for us to go to bed. And sleep, let's, be, let's face it, is honestly so boring as compared to playing or going out or watching television. But friends, I, I want to especially exhort parents to teach teenagers that Saturday night is, is not the night to think of staying out late with friends. If you want a night like that, make it Friday. Sure, not Saturday. It's a terrible thing to teach your children that worship is so optional that it doesn't matter if you're exhausted or not when you come. What happens here is more important than the ACT exam. And, and we do work hard to get our kids to sleep well before an important test, don't we? Because without sufficient sleep, we're not alert, we're, our minds are dull, our emotions are flat and unenergetic, our proneness to depression is higher, and our fuses are short. But the main point of this text is take care how you listen. And that means get a good night's rest before you hear the word of God. My encouragement to you. Number six, come at peace with one another. Come at peace with one another. Psalm 106, verse 25, it says, But they grumbled in their tents, and they did not listen to the voice of the Lord. I, I know that many of us are walking through conflicts on a day-by-day -day basis because we're sinners and we interact with other sinners and we're in desperate need of grace. I understand that. Saturday nights and Sunday mornings grumbling and controversy and quarreling can ruin a worship service for a family. My parents have repented of this, by the way, just preface that but I vividly remember on several occasions coming in this parking lot with mom and dad going at each other and then walking into the service like that didn't ever happen and I <laughs> there's some fear <laughs> that that could take place in our life friends let's let's be active and engaged and taking care how we listen and don't come to, to service with with a grumbling quarrelsome heart that's at odds with other church family or other family. My suggestion is this. When there's something that you're angry about or some conflict you genuinely think that needs to be talked about, forbear it. And put it off till later on Sunday after worship. Don't dive into it Saturday night or Sunday morning. And when you come to worship, don't come as hypocrites pretending that you have no problems in this world. Because you ain't fooling anybody. We all have problems. 
Come, saying, Lord, show me the log in my eye. Humble me and cleanse me and show me so much of yourself that I know how to deal with this issue in a more Christ-like way than I feel right now. You may be surprised how many of your crises get changed in the light of God's word and his worship. Number seven. Come in a spirit of meek teachability. Not gullibility. You have your Bible and you have your head. But James says in meekness receive the implanted word. Friends, if we come with a chip on our shoulder as if there is nothing that we can learn or benefit, uh, we will prove ourselves infallible on both counts. But if we humble ourselves before the word of God, then we will hear it, we will grow, and we will bear fruit. Number eight. When the worship service begins, think earnestly about what is sung, prayed, and preached. Engage it in your mind. Engage your minds in worship. Paul says to the Corinthians, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet be evil, uh, yet, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. He says to Timothy in, in second, T- Timothy chapter 2, verse 7, Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Anything worth hearing is worth thinking about. If a message does not require the engagement of your mind, it is probably not going to take you anywhere beyond where you are right now. But that would also probably not be biblical preaching. If you would take heed how you hear, think about what you hear. When the worship service begins, think earnestly about what is sung, about what is prayed, and about what is preached. Finally, Number nine, desire the truth of God's word more than you desire riches or food. As you sit quietly, as you pray, as you think about what the text says, what the songs say, I just pray that you remind yourself about Psalm 19, 10 and 11, what Brother John Walters read for us. That's what it says about the words of God. That's what the psalmist says about the words of God. See if this is true for you. The words of God, they are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warmed, and keeping them there is great reward. So because the word of God is greater than all of the other riches and, and sweeter than every drop of honey, take care how you listen. Desire it more than you desire all these things. As Proverbs chapter 2, verses 3 and 5 says, For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Friends, we've we got nine practical steps this morning on how we can be a faithful here. We saw how vital this is to the Christian life. And, and, and my prayer is that God would make us a people who hear the word of God and bear fruit of it a hundredfold. So that the lamp of our lives, like it is in the parable of the lamps, will be on a lampstand, giving light to all who enter the kingdom of God. So take heed. Take care how you listen.